Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to another exciting night of NBA basketball. With the first pick, the Detroit Pistons select Cade Cunningham from Oklahoma State University. Chandler again. Oh, what a block by Max Seal! My goodness! The Pistons are digging in. They got the depth. They got the big men. They got the better basketball team. No doubt about it. There's Jaden playing the passing lane. Sky's a jam. Dynamite dunk and the crowd loves it. Pistons need a three and they have just under three seconds to do it. Here's Chauncey Phillips. Here it is. Pistons fans, welcome back to another edition of the Palace of Pistons podcast, part of the Believe Network. I'm your host, Mike Milano. Joining me this week is, as always, Aaron Johnson. But we do have a special guest this week. Jasper is not doing an impression of Doc Rivers, so I'm not going to introduce Doc Rivers. We don't have Jasper at all, as a matter of fact. We have Palace of Pistons, longtime Palace of Pistons writer, Dylan Edenfield. And Dylan had a great article about the Pistons guards in review. We're going to get to all of that um, throughout this episode. Dylan, I'm going to start with you because I hear from Aaron weekly. Dylan, how are you doing, buddy? I'm doing pretty good. Um, Other than what we've seen from uh, the Pistons news cycle in the last couple weeks, uh, I've been doing all right. I'm definitely disappointed at the uh, recent draft drop, um, but I think – I think we'll be able to make, make the most out of this offseason, hopefully. We have to have Dylan on more because he's the most positive one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> on yeah the, for now. For now. Podcast. <laughs> it reminds me of a younger version of myself. I, I was once the, the optimistic one who was told that I was too optimistic. And then I, I was hardened after uh, years and years of torture. And now I am a Debbie Downer and I hate too much according to the listeners, but yes, Dylan is Dylan has been with Palace of Pistons for forever. Dylan makes the, the wonderful podcast podcast graphics that we have out every week as well. He's been doing that for yes, probably what, two, three years now. I mean, yeah, I, I think this a, is the third season. Yeah. But Dylan has been with Palace of Pistons for years. He's one of the like core pieces one of the first guys to jump on board with me when we started this passion project i mean us three might be really the first i think so it's been a long since i believe it was pistons nation i don't maybe you can confirm that dylan i um maybe team right it might have been it might have been right when you changed the name okay but you have been like i remember that ages and it's great to have you on the podcast. I don't think we've ever had you on. I think you maybe came on like our draft no. we did on YouTube. Uh, the only go. I I was gonna say the only uh, podcast I remember doing it was before you were actually doing like the the weekly podcast, and we would just do it, you know, whenever some news came out. The only podcast I remember doing was uh, when Reggie Jackson got hurt a few years ago. Um, it was probably like 2017 or something. We were talking about Ish Smith jumping in the starting lineup. But yeah, other than that, this is my first time on the on the new show. 
What a memory. I can't believe you remember. I was going to say, yeah. You know, I know. It's, you can tell the Dylan's the youngest one because he remembers all this stuff. Yeah, that's the one time. <laughs> well, I've been wanting to hop back on. listener, first time caller. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm, I mean, Dylan, were you here when Palace of Pistons was a Twitter DM group? Oh, yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Okay. Good times, yeah. Okay. That was uh, probably for that was almost a year. Probably it was like that before we got a a real group chat. Yeah, we upgraded. We upgraded. we upgraded the group chat. Well, very excited to have you on to talk about the guards and to give your thoughts on some of the other news that's making its way through the Pistons, including the coaching hires. And we had a late, a little bit of late breaking news here that we'll get to in just a moment uh, regarding the Pistons coaching search but before we get on to that i'd like to thank our sponsor for this week and that is bet online and bet online is your number one source for all your basketball info stats news and scores get all the latest odds and lines including the latest player reports for this year's pro basketball playoffs i really thought we were headed to the heat nuggets finals but uh that that might have to wait maybe it's already happened once once this comes out but uh Really thought that we were headed for two sweeps. Bet Online is always your sports information headquarters this season, and they've got you covered for all your sports wagering needs, whether it's basketball, MLB, NHL hockey, right down to UFC, and boxing. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to get your betting info, including live betting options and your favorite casino and card games you can play right from your house. So head on over to the website today or use your mobile device to get in on the action and be sure to use the promo code. B-L-E-A-V, that's bleep, B-L-E-A-V, received your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit with BetOnline. Again, that promo code is believe B-L-E-A-V, receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit with BetOnline. BetOnline, where the game starts. Let's hop right into it. First up, the Pistons coaching search, specifically as it relates to Monty Williams, who was fired uh, after an unfortunate ending in Phoenix. I mean, he was coach of the year and took a team to the NBA Finals, but he got fired, uh, immediately became one of the top options on the coaching market. According to NBA insider Mark Stein, the Pistons made a quote-unquote big money offer to Monty Williams, but he declined it. And league sources also added, this is according to Mark Stein, that the Pistons, even after they failed to get uh, Victor Wembanyama, or, the, or rather the right to draft him in the first overall pick, they went went through with their intent to make a big money offer to Monty Williams, hope that he would be uh, able to be the new head coach in Detroit. So we have some news that the Pistons at least attempted to get Monty Williams, who would have been a big upgrade over Dwayne Casey. Uh, but unfortunately, it looks like Williams is going to take a year off. He's still owed money on his contract from Phoenix, though still seems to be getting paid. Um, he can afford to take a year off. Mike Boonholzer's in kind of a similar holding pattern there. But it is disappointing nonetheless. Uh, the Pistons' search continues. Dylan, I'll start with you because we don't hear from you. Well, we only hear from you once every six years uh, on this podcast, <laughs> apparently. Um how disappointed are you in Monty Williams declining, opting to not coach um, instead of coaching this young Pistons team, which you know does have some nice and pieces on it? But how disappointing is it to you know to not be able to lure him to coach the Pistons? 
I would say that I'm not too surprised, especially since he has what, like 20 million left from uh, his son's contract. So I mean, money isn't a concern for him. Um, for me, I'm not concerned that he declined the offer, but I'm more concerned that the Pistons felt so desperate to throw so much money at him. I mean, I don't know exactly how much, whatever. And it's not like there's a certain cap that you can throw at coaches, but it just seems like that was kind of like a desperation, uh, you know, trying not, they don't really have someone that they are truly enamored with. Um, So I think that they were just trying to get someone that has a proven track record and doing whatever they can. Uh, I'm not too surprised if he was going to coach. I kind of thought he would go somewhere else. But if he's not coaching, that that doesn't come as much of a surprise either. Uh, But I I don't think that he was really uh, a realistic option just because I feel like he probably wants to continue being with a winning franchise. And from what we've heard, it doesn't really sound like the Pistons have been looking too closely at um, guys that have already been in the league because they're pretty interested in guys that um, like Kevin Ali that haven't coached in the league yet. So doesn't really seem like that's where they were looking anyway. So I'm not too concerned about it. And for what it's worth, um, he has three years and what is valued as an excess of $20 million remaining on his contract. That will be Monty Williams with the Phoenix sun. So not a whole lot of urgency for him to, take a job for the sake of taking a job. He does have some time and there will be, even if he takes a year off there, there will be more options available to him next off season as the coaching carousel spins faster and faster each off season. Um, Aaron, what are your sentiments on the Pistons? Just, just not being able to wrangle Monty Williams despite making a big money offer. Are, are you impressed that they uh, at least made a push or, you know, did what looked like was pretty unexpected. It seemed like everybody was set on Charles Lee or Kevin Ali. Are you impressed that they, you know, bucked the trend and just gave supposedly a big money offer for a guy that is probably the best coach out of the three? Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily say impressed. I think, you know, a coach like Monty Williams becomes available and you are a young team in need of a head coach. You obviously take a chance on trying to lure, you know, one of the top coaching candidates on the market to your franchise. Uh, I'm relieved, I think is the the better word to use that they, that they did try. It, it doesn't change the ending result of disappointment that Williams didn't want to come here. Uh, to be fair, you know, if I was going to be paid $21 million over the next three years uh, and not have to work, I think I would take that. Uh, and I wouldn't really think twice about it. Uh, but at the same time, you know, from what we were told at, at the beginning of this coaching search for Detroit uh, was that this was a premier landing spot for a head coach. This was an organization. This was a franchise that coaches were going to want to be a part of. And this was going to be a premier job on the market. And we're sitting here now as countless other teams have already made their hires are are, are talking to bigger names on the market. And, you know, the Pistons are kind of still going back and forth on the few initial candidates that they moved forward with. And not being able to sway Monty Williams sheds, at least to me, more light on the the the, the issue that Detroit is having in, in this head coaching search. 
Uh, I think Dylan, you make a great point when you say, you know, it it, it kind of reeked of, of desperation that they were just going to still throw big money at him, even though, you know, it would have been a more likely uh, scenario for him to join the the organization if they had landed the number one pick and we're going to be able to draft Victor Wembanyama, but they still threw the money at him and they, you know, went out and put out that, put out that offer to him. Uh, even though they've been in talks with these other coaches now for weeks, uh, for weeks. I mean, it was Easter Sunday that, that Dwayne Casey was fired and some of these names came out that the Pistons were going to be speaking with. So it's it's been a very long time uh, that the Pistons have been in connection with guys like Kevin Ollie and uh, Charles Lee. So for them to just, uh, you know, see Monte Williams come on the board and, and are so desperate to throw money at him, it, it shows them they're not super confident in what they have available to them uh, on the coaching market. And it's super, super disappointing that, that Monte Williams – uh, isn't going to be this team's next head coach. You know, I said as soon as he became available, uh, in the same way that I that I said when Mike Budenholzer became available, that these are the kinds of coaches that Detroit should be going after. These guys that have won, uh, that have experience, that have a, a proven track record. Uh, for 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 what Detroit needs to do and, and the leap that the franchise needs to make, you know, these are the types of guys where it just seems like it's going to be a lot easier for them to help take this team uh, and and take those next steps in terms um, of development. But you know, on, on one part, uh, I'm relieved that the Pistons at least went out and tried to get him. Uh, you know, on the other end, though, certainly disappointed, and, and it's certainly. <laughs> doesn't calm the nerves that they were so desperate to get him, you know, after having been in a coaching search for over a month and, you know, here they are now trying to wrap up this search with what doesn't seem like a great grasp on the candidates available. Yeah. Speaking of those candidates available, uh, we know the stable of names that we've talked about for the last several weeks, Jordan Collins, Charles Lee, Kevin Ollie. Um seems like we just gained a little bit of clarity. Uh, this is according to Jake Fisher of Yahoo. Um, Jerron Collins, I'm sorry, did I say Jerron Lee? I meant Jerron Collins. Um, Ollie and Lee are going to be meeting with the Pistons brass again. Uh, but as it currently stands, this is according to Jake Fisher of Yahoo, Collins does not have another interview lined up with the Pistons front office. So we're down to Charles Lee and Kevin Ollie, uh, who previously met with Pistons owner Tom Gores in Los Angeles. Um, so it looks like we're down to those two guys. Um, we have talked about them, Aaron, you and I, we have talked about them a lot on this podcast the last couple of weeks. Um, and the listeners already know our feelings on on them. I'm a proponent. If it's going to come down to those two, I'm going to definitely err on the side of picking Lee because of the developmental side and the championship pedigree with the Milwaukee Bucks and the playoff experience with the Bucks and the Hawks being next to Mike Budenholzer. I'm surprised the Bucks aren't looking at Lee, if I'm being honest, but neither here nor there. Uh, so I want Dylan's opinion on these two guys, Kevin Ollie and Charles Lee. Seems like, like these are the two men left standing for the Pistons head coaching job. Do you swing any one way or the other? I mean, it's really interesting now that the Pistons are picking fifth and they're staring a Thompson twin in the face. 
who um, Kevin Ollie has at least a relationship with um, being with the overtime elite. Um, so having that connection there. Uh, but do, do you swing one way or the other between Lee or Kevin Ollie? Yeah, I've kind of been a Charles Lee guy from the start of this whole coaching search. As soon as his name came out, uh, Bucks assistant, obviously they've been one of the best teams in the league for the last few years. And Giannis's improvement, I'm sure he's played uh, a sizable role in that as well. Um, Kevin Ollie, obviously he won with UConn, you know, almost a decade ago. But overtime elite as as a coach there, it's it's kind of concerning that he hasn't coached anywhere close to the NBA level since he was at UConn. Um, so I would definitely be more intrigued by Lee, but we know that Ali's um, connections with Troy Weaver and the fact that we're likely going to have a Thompson twin in a Detroit uniform next season. Wouldn't be surprised at all if we end up with Ali. And I think that if we do end up with Ali, if the Pistons do end up with Ali, then Troy Weaver's every decision that Troy Weaver makes will be that much more under a microscope because I feel like if Ali is the decision, then we'll kind of know that Weaver was the one that pushed that more than any anyone else. Aaron, any anything to, to add to that? Um, we're both proponents of, of Lee as well over over Kevin Ali. Um, yeah, the fifth it, pick is a really interesting slot too because of the Thompson twins um, and having the relationship to him, but. Anything to add on narrowing it down at least? I mean, this is a, this is a step in the right direction after what seemed like just nothing, no, no, no news, no nothing. Yeah, for me, I mean, obviously, I'm still steadfast, and I prefer Charles Lee over Ali. Um, it was when these three candidates, you know, Collins included, came out. Uh, it was Charles Lee for me there, and, and it still is. You know, I, I still don't think the Pistons, at least uh, Tom Gore is and, and, and Troy Weaver are on the same page. Uh, at least it doesn't seem that way. You know, Jake Fisher had also previously reported that, uh, you know, Gores wasn't necessarily impressed or, or wasn't, uh, you know, given a standout impression on any of the those three candidates when they met with him uh, in Los Angeles. So it, it doesn't seem like the Pistons have a great, a course of action here to to circumvent these candidates doesn't seem like they're necessarily opening the coaching coaching search up to any other additional candidates uh, you know they tried it with Monty Williams that obviously didn't work so it kind of feels like they're making that decision between uh you know Charles Lee and Kevin Ollie and for me what Charles Lee has done you know being a top assistant for a championship team his connection to other head coaching searches. You know, he was a head coaching candidate with the Atlanta Hawks. He was a finalist for them. He just interviewed for the Milwaukee Bucks position. I believe he's interviewed for a couple of the other open positions uh, this offseason as well. So to me, for, for, for the background and the experience that Charles Lee has, it just makes the most sense to go with a guy like that. And no Troy Weaver wants to hire his buddy. I know that that's important to him. I know that's how he's built out this organization since he came aboard, but this is too important of a decision to, to just trust that this guy can bring in his friend and, and, and nothing against Kevin Ali. But when you haven't 
coached at a high enough level and, and you haven't coached college and you ha- haven't coached the NBA in years, it's really tough to bring this guy in, not in year one of a rebuild. Like if this was year one and they wanted to bring in that coach that was going to grow with this team and yeah, there were going to be some bumps along the way and there were going to be some learning experiences along the way, like fine. But the Pistons are are trying and need to make a leap. And they it's 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 harder to do that when this would be his, you know, he had he just he's been away from the NBA game. He's been away from the college game. Yes, he's worked with, you know, these high school talent, but it's just not the same as as the college and NBA. And I get that Troy Weaver certainly trusts uh Kevin and, and is good friends with him. And I get the 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 rapport there between those two, but if nobody else is agreeing with him in that front office and everybody else is saying, I don't think this would be the right hire. Does Troy Weaver want to put his job on the line for this? And I, to be fair, I think no matter who the coach is that Troy Weaver's job is on the line with them, whoever he hired, right. His job was going to be on the line. But I, I, I think there's no chance in hell if, if this team hires Kevin Ali and it doesn't work out that Troy Weaver remains on board because from everything that that we've been fed, it's it's Troy Weaver who likes Kevin Ali, and it's everybody else who likes Charles Lee or another candidate. And it's just it's it's tough when you know I I made a, a kind of a joking tweet, but it's it's also a little real. It, it's 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 hilarious that Pistons fans uh, are watching Tom Gores, who's been such a inept owner over the course of his time with, with the, with the Detroit Pistons quote unquote, save this team from, from hiring Troy Weaver's good buddy uh, because they actually need a head coach and it's, it's sarcasm. It's a joke, but it's also a little bit true because I would have never thought that Tom Gores would be the one agreeing with other people. Like, Hey, maybe this isn't the right guy uh, over the general manager. Like we're, we're, the fan base seems to be agreeing, or at least most of the people that I follow and that I interact with are agreeing more with Tom Gore is here. If let's not hire this guy than they are with Troy Weaver. And I, I've actually seen this decision and, and the talk around Kevin Ali really sort of change some of the, the narrative around Troy Weaver. I mean, he still has a very, very, very strong group that supports him, uh, at least from what I read on Twitter. But there are also some people that are starting to, kind of changed their opinions on him. And it's it's really been because of how this coaching search has played out. Um, but it's this is not a situation to be envious of if you're another franchise because the Pistons have struggled throughout this coaching search and have watched other coaches get picked up, had another coaching candidate who they really did want over these guys who they've been talking to for a month, turn them down. And you know now they're here. And there's, it still doesn't seem like they know exactly what they want to do. They got a draft in three weeks and they're still trying to put all this time and effort into figuring out who the hell their next head coach is going to be. So, so <laughs> whose call do you think it was to make a big money offer to Monty Williams? I think it was, a. I think it was that I, I could see them being on the same page about that because yours obviously is going to to like a big name. Like he's going to want a guy that is known and has had success. And that's something that I could definitely see the same way Tom Gores courted Dwayne Casey when, uh, but you know, before he became the Pistons head coach, like that's the mindset that he has, but I can also see Troy Weaver 
who knows Monty Williams and worked with Monty Williams when they intersected in Oklahoma City, you know, I can see them being on the same page about that. And I think that's why the Pistons were were so adamant about offering him and being willing to throw him such a big offer. It's just not the same case when it comes to any of these other coaches that they've been connected to. So would it really surprise you if Tom Gore has stepped in and told Troy Weaver, this is the direction we need to go and we're not hiring your buddy. We're not hiring an assistant. We're hiring a championship pedigree coach and he's the one that put the big money offer in. I mean, because what this looks like on the outside is dysfunction of, you know, or just a disconnect between owner and general manager in what we have repeatedly called the most important off season for the Pistons. They have all this cap space. They have another lottery pick. If they're picking number five again next year, heads are going to be rolling. You know, this is an important decision. Does, am I wrong in saying that this just looks like a complete disconnect between ownership and the general manager? Because Tom Gore is not afraid to go in and do what he needs to do. I mean, he's for better or worse, a a more hands-on owner than the traditional sports owner. Um, what are the optics of that? I mean, they're already courting coaches. They've already done it for weeks and they come in and try to get Monty Williams. I mean, exactly. is that going to affect, is that going to affect how Kevin Ali and Charles Lee look at this organization? For them, I don't really think it, you know, both of them need a job. Both of them want to be head coaches. Like, yes, it, it. I'm sure they're probably annoyed by it, but at the same time, like that doesn't matter if, Troy Weaver or, or, or Tom Gores calls them up tomorrow morning and says, hey, we'd like to offer you the, the head coaching job. They're not turning it down because the Pistons wanted to bring in Monty Williams. It's it's more concerning from the organization side that Tom Gores and Troy Weaver and likely Arn Tellum as well are all not on the same page because we know Arn Tellum has a, is, is Tom Gores' right-hand man and has a lot of say in this organization. And those three men are not on the same page that's from everything we've been told they're not agreeing and all i can think is you are the people that hired troy weaver so it's like you hired him you either let him do his job at this point or you say we don't like the way this direction the direction of this franchise is headed and we have to make a change at the general manager spot because this sort of dysfunction in this big of an offseason with this big of uh, a decision and other major decisions coming down the line in the next coming weeks, uh, it's it, this could severely damage the, the rebuild and set the Pistons back. And that's not something that this organization can afford to do. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I The longer this coaching search goes, the more focus it takes away from like you said, a huge off season where we have another top five pick and a lot of cap space. I think a decision just needs to be made. They need to come together. And it doesn't sound like there's too many names that are out there that they, they really considered. It's been mostly the same names for weeks now. And like you guys said, it just sounds like complete dysfunction a disconnect and you know, it's obvious from the outside that Gores and Weaver are complete opposites in terms of like personality. And uh, I, I feel like that kind of leads to, you know, um, disagreements and personnel. But 
yeah, like you said, they're they're the ones that decided to hire him. And if there's if it's this hard to make a decision on who's going to coach these guys, I mean, how how hard are the the decisions going to be to for who to draft, who to bring on board with all this cap space? I mean, it's big decisions coming up, and you want to make sure the right guys are making those decisions for sure. And even the current players on the roster seeing this kind of drag out, I mean, maybe this is – it, it, it might be overblown. I mean, Milwaukee doesn't have a head coach. Toronto doesn't have a head coach. Philadelphia doesn't have a head coach. So maybe this is being overblown. I mean, maybe it's not well, that big of a deal. Maybe you're waiting on a team to kind of break break the seal and then the coaching flood opens up. Well, and another thing that you said earlier – that is kind of concerning is Charles Lee's one of the top candidates for the Pistons, but the Bucs don't even seem to be looking at him for their head coaching spot. It's like if he's one of their top in-house assistants and he's really capable of being an NBA head coach, why aren't they looking at him, you know? Right. Right. No, it's it's a good point. I mean, there, there's a there's a lot of championship-caliber coaches available. I mean – but yet we're not we're not clamoring for Doc Rivers or Nick Nurse to be the head coach of the Pistons. There's a wealth of NBA coaching experience out there, um, but the Pistons just have to make a choice because the current players on the roster are going to be waiting for uh, the draft to see who's who is going to be their new teammate. And there's there's a lot of intrigue with the fifth overall pick. Um, but speaking of the players on the roster, it seems like a good segue to move into. Dylan, your review of the Pistons guards. Um, so you had a great article for Palace of Pistons going over the guards um, that appeared in games for Detroit last year. That'd be Jaden Ivey, of course, Killian Hayes, Alec Burks, Corey Joseph, Rodney Magruder, RJ Hampton, and a lot of intrigue. Um, guard was maybe the most interesting positional group just based on Ivy and Hayes having a lot of intrigue you know you, you want to see what Jay Ivy can do and obviously we're still waiting on Killian Hayes to appear as an NBA caliber rotational piece um, your assessment of the guards I I know that it's a lot of players to go through um, do you want to just sum up real real quick yeah your general um assessment of how the guards performed for Detroit. I mean, there was a lot of fluctuation between who was available, who was unavailable, you know, Kate Cunningham goes down pretty quickly. So, you know, the ball handling moves around um, the Pistons have a lot of injuries in general, but just a general assessment of the guards uh, for the Pistons before we get into more specific players. Well, obviously it was, a bit underwhelming year for the guards just because Cade was out. It was expected that uh, the two guard positions were probably going to be the strongest on the team or among the strongest just because Cade and Ivy um, are such highly touted prospects. Um, Ivy was definitely the the diamond uh, player of this group. Um, outside of Alec Burks, I would probably say, I wouldn't say any other player in this group really uh, exceeded expectations or really even my expectations. Killian Hayes definitely had some moments as he does where he'll, you know, have 
a, a 20 and eight game with three steals and then follow it up with three or four duds, which has just been kind of the norm since he's been on the team. Um, RJ Hampton was an interesting pickup. I, I don't really see him staying around. Roddy Magruder, uh, he's, you know, been a good vet since he's been here. Um, the biggest prop to him has been him staying in the league for like three seasons after Clay Thompson said he would be out of the league by next year. So, you know, he's still getting his bag from us. I wouldn't mind bringing him back as a 15th man on a, on a minimum deal, you know? <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. I know. He's, he, he, he made it, he made it. Um, and then Corey Joseph, <laughs> Uh, I, I probably gave him more props than I expected to when I wrote the article because I said that I could see him being valuable as a third-string point guard. Probably not for us, uh, but definitely, you know, I could see him being like a, a good veteran uh, reserve on a playoff team or whatever. But I, I'd say his time in Detroit has probably come to an end, especially with Dwayne Casey not being the coach anymore. Um, who else? Was there anyone else? Oh, Yeah. Killian Hayes. Oh no, I, did I you get to RJ Hampton? Hayes. Yeah, he's. Our, uh, well, I just said he was an interesting pickup. I don't. I mean, he had his moments, but I, with Cade coming back, maybe another guard coming in the draft, either in the first or second round. I just don't see there being enough roster space for him. Um, for me, it was really just about Ivy and then everyone else. Um, Ivy. I would say he was everything that the Pistons could have wanted from him, uh, especially towards the end of the season. He really showed what he's going to be about for years to come. I think a lot of the weaknesses that he had uh, early in the season, like finishing around him, maybe being a little too out of control with his drives and passes. Uh, those are just like normal things, normal weaknesses and uh, bumps in the road for a rookie guard. And I think especially by the end of the season, he really um, – was able to control his drives more, made a lot of strong finishes that he wasn't making early in the season. And for me, I might actually go into this more at some point, but I really do think that Cade missing this season uh, will will look back and as a, uh, as a benefit for Ivy in the long run, just because he had the opportunity to truly, you know, be the lead guy, lead guard of the team for a year. And, as we've seen with Hayes, uh, it's not common for a, a rookie guard to succeed like Ivy did this year. I like how the measuring stick is killing Hayes. Just, just beat yeah. that. No. I think that's a great. Just point. Beat that, and you're good. I, I think. Looking back, you're right. You know this. This situation forced Jaden Ivy to be the lead guard. It forced him to be the alpha uh, of the Pistons backcourt and for him to respond the way that he did, like it wasn't always pretty. It, it wasn't always efficient, but kind of like Kate Cunningham, by the time the second half of the year came around, Ivy completely settled in and was playing his game and was doing so much more efficiently. And he was a lot better defensively. Like this is a, a kid that was expected to come in and play alongside Kate Cunningham, who, you know, we were talking about being able to take the the all-star type leap this 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 past season. And then he goes down 11 games into the year, and all of a sudden it becomes Jaden Ivey's team, a guy that's not a, a traditional one that was expected to play more off the ball. And 
Ivy just grew into that role and excelled. And he had huge performances. It sucks that Cade missed the season because it hurt his development. It hurts this team's development. But on a singular level, on an individual level, it really helped Jaden Ivy because to me, it provided clarity in what Ivy can be and can become. And I was high on Ivy as a ball handler and as a distributor coming out of college. But what he did this past season exceeded my expectations for him. I didn't think it was going to mature for him this fast. And he ended up playing the game at his own pace and got into his rhythm and learned how to change speeds and learn how to compete on the defensive end and pick his spots and do these things that, you know, don't happen with first-year guards. It's one of the most talked-about narratives around draft prospects is rookie guards always struggle. I mean, Mike can attest to that with a guy like Darius Garland, who's now an all-star. His first year in the league, a top-five pick, and people were talking about him like he was going to be the next big bust. And it took another year. It took another season. But then all of a sudden, Darius Garland was an all-star. It just It's a lot harder for these guys that are going to have such high usage and have the ball in their hands so much and are making so many decisions uh, with the ball in their hands throughout the game. It's so hard for them to go from the, the, the college level to the NBA level and make an impact and be efficient and be aggressive and feel confident. And for Ivy, it just came across so naturally for him as the season went on. I mean, Dylan, you're right. You know, I think it's it kind of goes to the roster as a whole. It was a disappointing year. It was underwhelming. But Jaden Ivey was the diamond in the rough out of this group. And his season was very, very encouraging. It's it's very, very exciting to see, okay, he can do all these things that maybe I wasn't sure he could do, but he can do them now. And I know he can do them now. And the Pistons are about to add Kate Cunningham back into the fold alongside him. And it just adds to the dynamic that these two can have as the one and two of this, this franchise for the foreseeable future. That's what gets me really excited is we got to see Jaden with the ball in his hand so often this year. And now we have Cade coming back and we get to actually see them play together and see all the stuff we were talking about last year actually happen. We get to see him play off ball more, like you said. And uh, one of the big things for Ivy that, I think goes under the radar is I think he shot like 34% from three on a decent amount of tough makes. And I think that's uh, for sure better than expected for his rookie year. He was never, you know, a sharpshooter in college and definitely more known for scoring in the paint. So if, if he can, you know, gets to a league average as a, a three point shooter, as a two guard, I think that just elevates their potential together so much more. Yeah, I mean, no, no disagreement there. I think everything that Ivy did this year is going to positively correlate with the return of Kate Cunningham. And, you know, for all the question marks that, that people have about this team, this organization, where they're headed, I think having those two, and, you know, you could throw Jalen Dern in that, but but specifically these two, it, as pillars of the franchise moving forward, you know, I think you can be very comfortable uh, with that after, you know, each of them had such a successful rookie season. Yeah, and Ivy was, was you could see the growth happening throughout the year, just getting to his spots. Um, 
while the shooting efficiency didn't always tick up, he at least looked more comfortable. His shooting form looked better. And like you guys said, he, he had the ball in his hand a lot. He had a 27.7 usage rate. It's pretty high, um, especially for a, a rookie playing uh, de facto point guard while Kate Cunningham was out. He hit 35%. looks like 35% according to cleaning the glass uh, from, from deep. The efficiency is all over the place, but it doesn't even matter. Um, he demonstrated a lot of things. Uh, like getting to his spots, like orchestrating an offense that that are much more valuable that that don't appear in a box score, don't appear on a on a on a stat sheet. So, yeah, I think he's definitely the clear um, bright spot of this group for sure. And it'll be very interesting to see how that lead guard skill set works with Cade Cunningham back, because that will allow Cade to play more off the ball. And depending on who they draft at five or who they sign in free agency, I mean, having another playmaker out there. Um, just just opens up an offense that for many years just looked very um, slow and when Jeremy Grant was out there very isolation heavy but you know you get a couple of playmakers out there and now the now the ball can really start to fly now let's let's get into the rest of the guards here uh, before we wrap up the podcast Killian Hayes is obviously the big one and you know we'll get to him in just a moment but number two in uh <laughs> How how well or or I guess how highly they're valued after Jaden Ivey, would you put Alec Burks number two in in terms of value? I mean, I think for a team that has aspirations of making the play in tournament, having a veteran out there in the backcourt to just go get a bucket is is pretty invaluable. And he showed a lot this you know this this past year. Yeah, I would definitely have Alec Burks at two. He was. Like I said, other than Ivy, the only one that met or exceeded my expectations. I think we've kind of just gotten used to Alec Burks being a flamethrower off the bench. Uh, That's kind of what he's been most of his career. I know he started games early in his career with Utah, but I feel like he's always kind of been that six man that comes off the bench and gives you, you know, 10 to 15 points a game. And especially for the Pistons, who were a team that could – oftentimes never find a bucket, uh, whether it was inside or a three-point. Uh, Alec Burks was able to come in and usually get the offense going just because he was one of the few guys on the team that could create his own shot and also at times create for others. And he could score from anywhere on the floor, range, around the rim, and shot 40% from three. So that's going to be val- valuable for any team. And he's got a team option next year, so I'd, I definitely think he'll be back. And he should still have a big role, even with Kate back. I, I think he'll still be that first guard off the bench. Uh, he's still a good player and definitely a valuable player for a team that's trying to win. Yeah, I think yeah, all the guards on this roster, you know, outside of Ivy, Alec Burks is the only guy that I'd you know, be disappointed with if, if he wasn't back next year. You know, none of these other guys – would really be that big of a loss for Detroit if Rodney Magruder and Corey Joseph weren't on the Pistons roster next year. If Alec Burks wasn't, I'd, I'd actually be disappointed because outside of Ivy, he was the only other guard that, like you said, brought a lot to the table and was actually a pretty vital piece for her, for them when he was in. I mean, this was a guy that was a consistent threat for them on the offensive side. It's just a stabilizing presence, you know, was out there with some guys who were struggling or young or inexperienced and, he was just always cool, calm, and collected in the moment. And 
I think he brings a lot of value to this team. A scoring guard off the bench, a guy that can get hot, a guy that can space the floor, a guy that can play with the ball in his hands, a guy that can spot up away from the ball. You want him back. And, you know, he had a great first season in Detroit. So uh, I'm looking forward to, to having him back with the Pistons next year and hopefully in a, a role off the bench where he can just kind of do his thing and isn't overextended or anything like that. But he had a strong, strong season. Uh, and I know he quickly, quickly, quickly became a favorite uh, of, you know, the, the few people that were watching the Pistons throughout this, this rough year. Uh, yeah, um, I, I I really hope he's he sticks around next year. Um, having a veteran presence back there is, is is exceedingly valuable, and you know he kept the Pistons in several games when he was playing and hitting shots last year, which is a good and bad thing, I guess. I mean, if you're relying on Alec Burks in the year of our Lord 2022 or 2023 to keep you in a game, then you're in a bad way. But he demonstrated that he can do just that. And uh, yeah, ho- hopefully he sticks around and, and the Pistons are good enough to where they're not looking to sell him at the, at the deadline. We talked about Corey Joseph. I mean, he's not going to be on the roster next year. At least I don't think so. Roddy Magruder might stick around just because he seemed to, he, he seems like he's in- invincible after Clay Thompson tried to shadow ban him and the Pistons tried to trade him and yet he's still here. Um so maybe he sticks, but you know, the other big name other than Jay Nivey is Killian Hayes. And there was a stretch throughout the season where it looked like Killian Hayes turned the corner entirely. He looked like a competent offensive player. He looked like a guy who could contribute off the bench as your first guard. He looked like he looked like the player that the Pistons had drafted and that many people thought was a steal. Um but the other 80% of the season, 85% of the season, he looked like the Killian Hayes that we've seen in the last two years. Very inefficient, disappears on defense. Um, when, when he does have the ball in his hands, it does not look like he has any sort of a plan or idea on how to attack the rim or to find the open man. But that you know, 15% window looked like a guy that was starting to put some pieces together in his brain and figure it out. So Aaron, I'm, I'm going to let you go first because uh, you've had your thoughts on Killian Hayes. He had the opportunity of his career with Kate Cunningham out to step in and get all the reps all the time, get some shots, get the usage. And, you know, I, I don't necessarily think he did enough to warrant an extension or, you know, anything like that. Um, but was it enough for you to think about him as a potential long-term piece? Or, you know, if if not, I mean, what are they going to do with him? Yeah, I think they're kind of stuck. I mean, I don't feel that Killian Hayes needs to be thought of as a part of this team's future. I Saying, saying that, also believe he's going to be back next season. I think he's going to be given the opportunity to to be a part of the rotation. Like, I don't necessarily know if it's on Detroit's agenda to go out and spend money on a backup guard. If Cade's healthy and Ivy's going to be back and Alec Burks is going to be back, like, I don't think they necessarily want to go out and spend $10 million to go get another backup guard. So I wouldn't be shocked if they ran it back with Killian Hayes one last season before he's, you know, becomes a restricted free agent. And they get to see what's there. And on the off chance that he takes the leap, 
and he makes some some major strides, you know, then they have a decision to make. But I I don't think that he's a guy that's going to do that. Like it's been three seasons. He's had all the opportunity in the world and we unfortunately just haven't seen it. You know, sometimes a guy misses, sometimes a guy doesn't pan out. And for Hayes, I just don't see it working out in Detroit long-term. You know, he, he could be the guy that goes to another team and something clicks. I don't know, but I just haven't seen it from him to where, you know, the, the consistency as a shooter, the aggressiveness as a scorer, you know, he doesn't get to the rim all that well. It's not like he's a guy that for his lack of shooting is, is elite at getting to the rim and drawing fouls and getting to the free throw line. You know, I don't think his defense is as good as people say. I think he's become a little bit overrated in that regard. I think he's a fine defender. I don't think he's as great uh, as people try to say he is. Uh, and I just think he's he's a handicap right now on offense. And he's had now three seasons and plenty of minutes and plenty of starts and plenty of games off the bench to to prove and get better in those areas. And, and he hasn't done that enough. Now, again, I think he's back and I think he's going to have a chance to be in the rotation. So there's another opportunity for him to to take strides and get better. And, and if he does, great. If he doesn't, you know, I'm not I'm not going to be shocked. Yeah, I don't think there's been a player in the last three years that this fan base has wanted to be good more than Killian Hayes. Um, he, he's shown flashes. There's a reason that he went as high as he did in the draft. I mean, such a young player. Um, there was obvious skills there as far as his defense and passing and everything else. I think people just kind of assumed would come with, with experience and it hasn't. Um, he's really, like you said, Aaron, he's had all the, all the opportunity in the world, especially with Kate out last year, he was the starting point guard um, and showed basically what we've seen the last two years where he'll have a couple good games and then five bad ones. And it's just like, what what kind of player is this? Because you, you'll feel like you won't even be watching the same player on back-to-back games. And for me, I agree. He's probably got one more chance. I feel like this was a big proof year for him and he didn't really – live up to those expectations but this for sure will be his last chance to see if he's even an NBA caliber player never mind uh in the future of the Pistons but I think if he does have a future in the NBA it'll probably be as a bench point guard I don't think there's any real way he becomes a starter at this point unless he has some like Cameron Payne style resurgence that is exactly um, who I was thinking but, of his campaign. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like he would need something like that where he's basically out of the league. You know, I remember when people would say Cameron Payne's the worst player in the league. Now people say that about Hayes. And it's like, I, I don't believe that. I wouldn't go that far. But he would need some kind of um, career resurgence like that to to be viewed as valuable again. And it's it's disappointing, but I don't think you take two more guards the two years after you draft a guy seventh if you're happy with how he's been doing. Um, I feel like if if they really believed in Hayes, they probably wouldn't have gone with Ivy at five if they really did. And you know, at at this point, he's just kind of the odd man out. So I don't think with with the backcourt we have now, I don't think anyone is too concerned if he's not in the future plans. So last question 
and then we'll wrap up this podcast out of the, the names here that you have. And just as a refresher, RJ Hampton, Rodney Magruder, Killian Hayes, Corey Joseph, Alec Burks, and of course, Jay Nivey. How many of those players are on the roster by the last game of the season next year? I would say Ivy's for sure, unless we're getting like a super star back. And Devin uh, Booker. I'd say he's, yeah, right. Yeah. Um, Ivy, Burks, I think it comes down to how good or bad the Pistons are. I think if they're, you know, playing for a playing spot or a playoff spot, um, as far fetched as it may seem right now, then he'll still be on the team. If not, he'll probably be gone by the deadline. I don't see Joseph back this year i don't see hampton back um magruder if he's back i would say he makes it to the end of the year um and is there anyone oh and and hayes um i don't think anyone's going to be trading for him so i'd say he probably makes it through the year so probably those four hayes uh hayes burks ivy and magruder i would say Yeah, I think. But after, yeah, I was uh, one more thing. I was just gonna say after that, um, I, after this year with Hayes, um, I would be surprised if he is gone. If he's like some kind of throw-in piece um, and some kind of trade before the end of next season. Yeah, I think you're. I, I think I end the season with with four. I, you know, I think Ivy Cunningham are back. Obviously, Burks is back. Uh, obviously, I think Killian Hayes can finish the season not with the team. I think Rodney Magruder is going to end up retiring a pissing at this point. Uh, it's just the 15th guy on the roster. Um, you know, I could see Corey Joseph back as well. I could also see his tenure being done. You know, I don't know how much of Dwayne Casey being the head coach, uh, you know, uh, contributed to, to Joseph remaining with the Pistons, but. He's also still a part of the front office now. So uh, I, I, think, I don't think Corey Joseph is the worst third string point guard to have. Uh, it's just when you have him playing 25 minutes a night, that's when it gets a little uh, right. nauseating. But I, I could see four, I could see five of these guys playing out next year. The Pistons, uh, you know, for, for roster continuity sake, you know, they're not the best at it. But when it comes to guys like Corey Joseph and Ronnie Magruder, these guys, these guys somehow find ways to. <laughs> could you see two guys? There's a world, yeah. I mean, Ivy and Hayes or Ivy and Burks, I I could see it. I could see. It. I mean, if, if things go south this year, yeah, you know, I could see the Pistons trading Burks at the deadline with him, you know, set to be an unrestricted free agent. I could see them trading him to to a, to a playoff team if if it, if it comes down to it. Um, it would it wouldn't surprise me. I would say if the Pistons are good, they end the year with. Ivy and Burks, and if they're bad, they end it with Ivy and Hayes. That's my prediction. Okay. Yeah, I don't think anyone's trading for Killian Hayes. Um, unless, like, Victor Wembanyama says, get me someone else who's French. Um, that's that's really about it. But I... Sorry, uh, I was gonna say it could be like a no, no, you're good. a Middleton Middleton throw in for Brandon Jennings <laughs> kind of trade. Not. 
I can see it. Yeah, I mean, I could see him being a throw in. Like, if you need to offload Marvin Bagley and the team's like, yeah, you know, we want Killing Hayes. Sweet, sweeten this pot a little bit by just giving us a guy for basically nothing. I mean, I could see him being a throw in. Um, I really could. And I don't, I mean, I think the Pistons would find that a tough pill to swallow, but I also don't think that they would lose any sleep over doing that. Especially with how free agency goes. I mean, it's going to be an interesting period with a lot of potential change. I mean, there's so many teams that still don't have a head coach that are championship contenders. I mean, look at the Bucks and the Raptors. I mean, the Raptors are like the fulcrum of this entire offseason. There's going to be a lot of player movement. I wouldn't be surprised if there's if it's only Burks and Ivy by the end of next year who are remaining. Hampton's gone. Joseph's gone. Magruder's retires or whatever. I mean, I think I I I think it's feasible that you're looking at that sort of um, mass turnover. But we'll have to see, fellas. Any last thoughts on any of our topics for today's podcast? We've covered a lot. I feel like this has been a long podcast. No, I mean, I think I think we're on the the verge of getting the the coaching hire. It seems like with it with it being down to these final two candidates, we should be getting that decision here at some point next week. Uh, it's I'm waiting in anticipation to see how this ends because one way or the other, it's going to be a hell of a storyline. Uh, but I think we're going to news soon. And then the Pistons really got to figure out what's going on with the fifth pick, what's going on with the 31st pick, because this is a big draft for Detroit. And then right after that, free agency begins. Yeah, at this point, I don't think any decision they make with the coaching is going to make me super happy or mad because we kind of know the names at this point. So just make a decision. Got more important things ahead. That's a good way to end it. Just make a decision. There's more important things ahead. And that's true. And that includes the fifth overall pick. And we hope that all of you listeners will join us on our review of some prospects of who the Pistons could take with the fifth overall pick. It's coming up quickly. I mean, what, we've got like three weeks or something until the draft? I mean, it's coming pretty fast. So we hope you'll stick around with all of us uh, as we – lead into the NBA draft, a very important draft for Detroit ahead of a very big off season for the Pistons as well. Dylan, I want to thank you for coming on the podcast. It was great having you. Yeah. Thanks um, for having me. Very good insight. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the guard article is very good. If you haven't had a chance to read it, go to palsofpistons.com and check it out. Um, lots of good insight from Dylan there. Um, and we're going to be going over the rest of the positions as well. It's just the playoffs are, in full swing and the NBA finals are about to be in full swing and the drafts coming up. We don't want all of that content to be drowned out by some of the bigger things happening in basketball, but we will be reviewing the other position uh, sections as well. So we hope you'll join us for that. So for my co-host Aaron Johnson and for our special guest this week, Dylan Enfield, I am Mike Inglano. Thank you so much for joining us on this week's edition of the Palace Pistons podcast, part of the Believe network we'll see you all next time
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.